We're in this series this summer called Love to Get It, Hard to Give It, about some of the things that, well, quite honestly, we love to get, but find it hard to give. And today, we're going to be talking about encouragement. Encouragement. One of those things that we love to get when it's coming at us, but when we're discouraged, we find it's very difficult to give out to other folks. Here's something that I hope you'll agree with me about. If not, meet me after church. We'll have a discussion. But I hope you'll agree with me that truth is where we start to change our thinking and that change starts with how we think about stuff. If we keep thinking the same things over and over again and we don't change our thinking, how can we expect to have any kind of life change? I think it's necessary. And Mark Elwell, a few weeks ago, preached about repentance and showed us that a change in direction is what repentance is all about. And a change in thinking is what Paul talks about happens in this repentance that happens with all of us because we're re renewing our minds and putting on the mind of Christ. And so there's a change in the way we think. It changes our direction. It changes our focus. And it changes the ability in us to overcome discouragement and to give out encouragement to others. Listen to what Paul says, Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, Paul says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If we want our life to be better, and I don't know about you, but I, for one, definitely want my life to be better, then if we're overcome with discouragement, we need to learn how to change that, which means we need to learn how to change our thinking. We need to start seeing our life and others through God's eyes, through his lens, rather than our own, because otherwise we just become self-focused and it just heightens the discouragement. When we see things through God. God's eyes, life just gets better for all of us. That's one of the reasons we gather together to do this thing called worship. And that's why we continue to study and meditate and dwell on God's word. I have days, I'm a pastor, and so we don't, we're not given a specific card when we graduate from theological seminary that says, you will never become discouraged again. I wish they gave those cards out. But they don't, and I know a lot of pastors that we encounter a lot of discouragement. We're going to see the Apostle Paul had some reasons to be discouraged too, and he was a pastor, and a, a pastor of pastors. And it gets discouraging. Sometimes we just turn on the news, and five minutes later we're discouraged because we're thinking about the state of our world, and it's just so discouraging. But here's a statement that might help us with perspective. The world has always been this way. Somebody reminded me of that just this last week. And I was moaning and groaning and whining because I was looking at the stuff on the news and I'm thinking, oh, this world, it's going to hell in a handbasket. What are we going to do? And then somebody said, well, the world has always been this way. And I started reading in the New Testament and seeing some of the stuff Paul was saying way back 2,000 years ago to his world. And it's true. It's always been that way. Starting, in fact, even with the very first family because of free will. So I don't know which things tend to discourage you. Maybe it's that yahoo you have to work with. Maybe it's a yahoo in your own family, somebody who's difficult to get along with. 
Maybe some weeks you're the person who's difficult to get along with because you have a hard time getting along with yourself. I have days like that. I had a week like that just yesterday. <laughs> or maybe it's finances. Maybe it is a job situation. Maybe it's a need for a job. Maybe you wish you had a different job. I don't know what it is, but we all have things that bring us discouragement. And there is somebody in the Bible who had reasons for some debilitating, I mean, uh, like up the side of the head with a two-by-four kind of discouragement. And he's the one who's going to give us some tips on how to overcome discouragement and be able to give it to other people even though we're not receiving it very much ourselves. If you were to ask a person for some advice on how to overcome discouragement, would you want the person whose life has always been peachy, they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, they've never had a difficult day in their life, or the person who's had to overcome a lot of discouragement? Yeah, I, I want the second one too. I would want somebody with some experiences, like he can say, yeah, I, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. And that would be the Apostle Paul, because he's seen a, th seen a thing or two when it comes to discouragement. Let me read these six verses from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28, and see if you can compare your life and the things that get you discouraged with what Paul wrote about and some of the things that made him discouraged. I have worked much harder. Now, the context for that is he's pointing back to some people he was describing that had made his life difficult because they were false teachers and people who were trying to discredit his sharing of the gospel. He says, I've worked much harder than these guys. Been in prison more frequently. Been flogged more severely and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. They used to write it 40 minus 1 because it was a legalistic thing. They wanted to make sure that they weren't going overboard. Just 39. Yikes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Can you imagine? I mean, three times. Paul, don't get on a ship again. <laughs> three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my fellow Jews, from Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, in danger from false believers. It's like, Paul, where haven't you been in danger? I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been in danger from, oh, no, I skipped a line. I, he's still in danger. I've been cold. I've been without clothing. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches which he was laboring diligently for. Now, don't you feel better about your own life? He had some reasons for discouragement. Good night. Wouldn't you think a guy who had been through all that stuff would be writing about the whining? Instead, he's showing us how we can overcome discouragement and how we can give it to other people. And he gives us three tips. Now, I've counted seven, but we'd be here until 2.30, and so I'm going to give you three today. Please read this chapter, though, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and see if you can find the other four. But I'm going to just dwell on three because I think they're really practical. First of all, it's okay to be authentic. That's a good tip. It's okay to be authentic. You don't have to fake happy, even as a believer. He says in the second verse of 2 Corinthians 4, we do not try to trick people into believing. 
We're not interested in fooling anybody. We teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we are. Then they can know in their hearts what kind of people we really are in God's sight. In other words, we don't have to fake it. We don't have to promise something that's not true. In fact, Christ didn't do that. He was telling the people that were going to follow him, oh, and you're going to encounter lots of difficulties too. You're going to have all these things added to you, and with that, you're going to have this persecution, and you're going to have troubles too. It was promised. We don't have to fake it, and we don't have to fake it if we're feeling discouraged. We can be real. One of the things, I think, that sets Christianity apart from all other religions on the planet, in fact, is God's grace. It's grace. We're not earning anything. We can't earn anything because we're not deserving of that. It's only because of what Christ did for us that makes us worthy. It's his worthiness that he puts over us like that cloak of righteousness, and he clothes us in his own righteousness. So we don't have to prove anything to anybody, including proving that we're happy when we're not. And I know a lot of Christian people have grown up in churches where we kind of show up and we put on the smile, and they'll say, how are you today? And we say, oh, I'm okay. And we might have some stuff going on inside that we really need to get in a small enough group with people to say, yeah, I'm not okay. I really am in desperate need of prayer this week. And we're going to talk about how we can do that more practically in just a second. But Paul had good reasons to be discouraged, and he didn't fake it. He wrote about it, honestly. And we get discouraged too, and that's okay. In fact, we can say, honestly, I'm a Christian, and I get discouraged sometimes. I'm not going to ask you to do that out loud, but hopefully you can say that and mean it. And it doesn't mean that Christianity doesn't work. It doesn't mean that God has turned his back on us. It doesn't mean that we don't have enough faith when we get discouraged. Even Paul the Apostle got discouraged. And so it's okay for us to get discouraged too. Even Jesus got discouraged. He wept over those people who heard the truth and yet refused to accept it. And in the last few hours of his life, he became so discouraged and so despondent that he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. And he even went a little bit further and said, to the point of death. So we're people of truth. We can be honest about admitting our discouragement. If Jesus was discouraged, why do we think we have to do something that he can't <laughs> or chose for himself? He was God. He gave up a lot of stuff in heaven, but he experienced everything, felt everything, even every temptation that we have felt. And he understands us. He never sinned because of it, but he understands it. Second tip, when we pour out our faith, it increases. This is an oxymoron or a paradox or a counterintuitive principle. It's something that just doesn't sound right on the surface. When we encourage someone else to have faith, our own faith grows. Here's another tip from Paul. It's God himself in his mercy who has given us this wonderful work of telling his good news to others, and so we never give up. He's talking about the fact that he has a life of purpose, and one of those purposes is to glorify God, to point other people to him, to encourage them to have faith, and so he doesn't give up because of his purpose. When we encourage somebody else, it's like throwing a boomerang. And it comes back and hits us right in the face, and we become encouraged too. It's called boomerang encouragement. I don't know if you've experienced that or not, but I have, and it's a wonderful thing when that happens. When we pour out our faith, we get more faith than we had when we started, which is weird 
and yet it's a God thing, and it happens. It's kind of like that mysterious oil in the Old Testament from 2 Kings. Remember the widow and her oil? It's like that woman in the Old Testament. Her husband had died. He was one of these schools of the prophet guys, and he uh, was being taught by Elisha. And so this woman, now a widow, went to Elisha and said, Elisha, I'm destitute. I'm in deep trouble right now because my husband, who was a man of God and studying, has died. And now I just have these two sons. I have debts, and the creditors are beating on my door. They're about ready to take my two sons and put them into slavery just so I can pay off my debts. You've got to help me, please. What can I do? Now, Elisha, being a miracle-working kind of guy, probably could have mustered up some sort of a great miracle and gone, Waymaker, miracle, and wham! He could have just put a pile of gold right in her living room. But instead, he, he asked her a question. He said, well, what do you have available in your house? He was asking her to take inventory. What do you have? And basically, her answer was, not much. <laughs> I don't have anything. Well, except for maybe a tiny little flask of olive oil. That's about it. That's all I've got. My pantry is completely bare. That's it. So he says, okay, go to your neighbors and borrow as many empty jars from them as you can and get them all together in your kitchen and then you just get your olive oil and you start pouring that oil out into these other jars. And when that one fills up, you set it aside and get the next one and keep filling it up like that. And so she did that. She went inside, brought her sons in there, closed the door, started filling up those flasks, or from the flask into those big jars, and more and more of these jars kept getting filled up. And finally, she got to the rest. She said, bring me another jar, son. He said, there are no more. He says, okay. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. And when she told the man of God, Elisha, what had happened, he said to her, now go and sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Isn't that neat? I love that. And I love having small group discussions about that because it's interesting to see what people are able to pull out from that in terms of their application. What does this mean to me based on what it meant to them and what's a good application for us? One of the things that I feel this week that this means to me is that encouragement is kind of like that. Sometimes I feel like, man, I've just got a tiny little flask of encouragement. <laughs> it's not very big. It's not much. And I've got nothing else to lean on. And he says, okay, I don't want you to go this alone. I don't want you to stay in your prayer closet. And I'm, I could do that. I could meet you where you are. But I want to turn this into a community event. I want you to go to others and I want you to involve them in the process, which we do. And we can do that through a small group. I've been in small group times when we've prayed for one another, and it's been powerful. One of the first ones that I ever attended early in my days at Living Water, there was somebody who found out that they had a really difficult prognosis physically. And we gathered around and prayed for that person. That person's still with us and going strong to this very day. That's like 21 years ago. Small groups are good places for encouragement, folks, and we need to involve other people in it and not try to keep it to ourselves. I know that in our church we have a lot of introverts, and I love introverts. The older I get, the more introverted I become. I need more alone time to recharge than I did back when I was 18 and I was bouncing off the walls all the time. And sometimes we're tempted to stay alone, especially when we're discouraged. And I think that one of the applications that we see in Scripture, including from Paul, is that we need to involve our community of faith and other people when we're discouraged. 
get outside of our discouragement long enough to say, folks, I need help. Can you pray for me? And they'll say, what's going on in your life? What can I pray for? And then they do that. And you know, you walk away from seasons like that and you realize, I'm not alone. And God did something amazing to pump me back up. He kept filling up that encouragement level again. Well, God knows when we need that encouragement as well. I've been going through a few things. Joy and I both have been going through a few things that have been some reasons for discouragement. And on Father's Day, which is the first Father's Day I have experienced when we had no children in the house. And I didn't know, it didn't even really hit me. You know, these things, the awareness hits you later, and you realize, why am I so discouraged? Why am I so downcast, oh, my soul? And then you realize, oh, I didn't think about that, but man, it's awfully quiet around here. It's the first time since we had kids, and we had no kids in the house on Father's Day. Of all the people that called me that afternoon, well, late in the days, like evening, was my former roommate in college, and I've shared his testimony with you. He caught back up with me a little while ago, and he just felt like touching base with me, and he wanted to know some more information about what's happened in my life. I wanted to know more about his life. He was out in Sacramento, California, and he encouraged me like crazy. He became a lawyer. He's been advocating for other people who can't advocate for themselves. He's been doing a great thing. He's working hard as a volunteer in his church. He stayed super firm in his faith. He was not a believer when he was my roommate in college. We had late night spiritual conversations and God had a road to Damascus experience with him. He called me later after I was out of that first year and he says, I've had a Paul on the road to Damascus experience. That was his words, not mine. He said, the scales fell, I saw the truth. Thank you for loving me enough to tell me the truth. I'm a believer now and I've been praying for him without knowing if I would ever connect with him again and I've been connected. Incredible, what encouragement. Isn't it neat that this boomerang sometimes can take something like 46 years. That is a healthy arm. And when it smacks us back up in the side of the head, it's such a good feeling. God knows when we need that encouragement. It seems paradoxical that you can give something away, and yet when you do, it, you get more of it in return. But think about that in relationship to some of these other things that we've, a few of them that we've already talked about, that we love to get it, but it's hard to give it, and that's the character qualities known as the fruit of the Spirit. Look at this list. If you give away love, you get more of it. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The more you give these things away, the more it grows and becomes more active in your own life. That's why we're practicing our trust in God by giving these things away. The more we give these away, the stronger they become. I love that. I was trying to find some sort of magic trick online so I could demonstrate that, but I was afraid that I was gonna pour Mentos into pop and it was gonna go all over the floor or something. So you're just gonna have to imagine it, but I found one where this guy had this tiny little flask of stuff and he poured it into this cup and it just went and it's an amazing thing, but it's even better if it's not physical and if it's spiritual, and we're doing that with these qualities because God fills us up. That's because all these things are tied to our purpose in life. One of the reasons I find that I get so discouraged is that I forget that God has a purpose for my being on this earth. And one of those purposes is to shine his glory to other people, to reflect his glory. I'm there to exalt him. It's not all about me. And discouragement causes us to just focus on me, 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 me. And he says, no, it's not all about you. So you start giving these things away. 
and all these character qualities, and I'll fill you up to overflowing again. You just watch it. It's like that. This came into my mind again. It's way back in v, VBS when we were kids. Bub, 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 bubbling. Bub, 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 bub. Jesus' love is a bubbling. Okay. So, tip number three. Tip number three. Our treasure is kept in clay jars. Say, what? That's in this passage that Paul's talking about as well, 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure, and it's contained in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We keep this treasure, which is Jesus Christ, and the gospel, and the good news, and the encouragement of knowing that God can transform other people's lives, but they're in clay jars. That means that we're all cracked pots. Because we've all been dropped at one point or another in our life. He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We sing a song that talks about that. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. If you picture a light, if you could put a little lamp, an oil lamp, down in the bottom of a clay jar, how are you going to see that light unless there's some cracks through there? Did you know that God can even use cracked people to display his glory really well? He does that. It's an amazing thing. Dennis and Marcia have been through a lot. They stream in because they have some physical limitations now, mobility issues. Hi, Dennis and Marcia. And I called Dennis earlier this week, and I said, Dennis, what has God used to encourage you lately? You know, let's not go back to 75 years ago when you met Christ or something. I don't know how long it's been with him. It's probably not that long because he's a young guy. But he said, well, you know, let me think about it, and I'll call you right back. And about two minutes later, my phone rang. It was him calling back, and he goes, I know what it is. The thing that really encouraged me this week was that we found this Christian music on YouTube. Folks, YouTube is an amazing tool. I don't know if you've discovered it or not. It's this thing on the Internet. <laughs> And he said, we found these different suggested places, and they kind of go down the rabbit trail, find a music that they liked, and sometimes it'll suggest music based on your previous likes and dislikes. And they found this group, and it's called the Redeemed Quartet. Now, those of you who grew up in churches, being younger, you know this four-part gospel harmony? Come on now, can I get a witness? <laughs> this is that good old kind of quartet, and it's this high keening high tenor and all this stuff and I went online to see which one Dennis was talking about and it's a song a specific song by this quartet the redeemed quartet and it was called I've never been this homesick before you can guess what they're talking about they're looking for their time when they're gonna be completely made whole again and they're in the presence of the one that they know they're gonna be in the presence of one day they know that for a fact because they've got the seal of the Holy Spirit in their lives they've been saved forever and they realize that their cracked pots are not supposed to last forever on this earth and that was a real encouragement to them because they recognize these bodies just don't cooperate sometimes and I'm so glad that he shared that because I got encouraged because of his encouragement. And now I'm passing it along to you fine folks. And you can pass that along to somebody else. Sometimes if we need a little encouragement, we just need to go online and go to that new thing called YouTube. And find a good Christian song that allows God to speak to us at a moment of our need. And we can be in a little private worship right there. Because we need to be reminded that we're all about eternity. And we have a purpose on this life.
God's limitless grace is revealed through our limited bodies. Paul was saying, man, we're going to take some hits in life. He took a bunch of them. We're hard-pressed at times, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we don't despair. We're persecuted from others, but we're not abandoned by God. We may get struck down, but we're not destroyed. Why is that? Because we're carrying in these crack pots the thing that's going to live on forever, and God reminds us of that fact, and we're going to be given perfection one day, glorified bodies, and an eternity in his presence where everything's going to be made right. This means that we can relax into our human limitations. Boy, do I have trouble with that. I get so frustrated when I realize that I have limitations. I don't know about you, but I'm limited, and I have to remind myself of that. Clearly, we all have physical limitations. My knees are starting to whine at me when I get down and stand up again too often. They start complaining a little bit. They're saying, why are you doing this? Some of us have other kinds of physical limitations. But that's really obvious from this passage because Paul talked about some of his own physical limitations as well. But Christ's resurrection means that we're going to have a brand new body one day. But there are other limitations. Let me name a couple of them. Here's one of them. This may come as news to some of you. You cannot fix everybody else's problems. You can't. How many of us have been tempted to do that? Man, I have, I see somebody else with a problem and the first thing I want to do is run in there and fix it for them. But they have to be able to be responsible for doing some things for themselves if that's really going to come true in their life and they're going to have growth and maturity. And so we can't fix everybody. That's called a Messiah complex, by the way. And some people run themselves ragged into the ground and with such discouragement because they try too hard to fix what cannot be fixed and what they're not responsible for fixing. We can't be more responsible for somebody else than they are for themselves. Paul knew that. That's why we need to pray that the Messiah will be Messiah to them. I don't have to be Messiah. I don't have to play Holy Spirit in their life. I can give them truth, and then I can back away and pray for them and trust that God's going to bring about the growth in their life if I'm watering that seed that I've planted and God can bring other people to bear in their lives as well and add some more water until hopefully one day they'll bloom and blossom. But we have to trust that the Lord is going to be Lord of their life and not me. Here's another limitation. We cannot be everywhere at one time. Joy and I had to just honestly admit that. I wanted so badly to fix some things because we were getting invitations to several things at once. And because we had to suffer for Jesus and go to Hawaii and do a wedding, I had to tell one person, I'm sorry I can't come to your graduation thing because we've already made a commitment. And you know, I could break that other commitment and go to there, but it's Hawaii. <laughs> and so sometimes we just have to not try to be everywhere at once. And sometimes we need to say, thank you so much for that kind invitation. And I'm sorry, but we can't be at more than one place at once, and so I'm going to have to politely decline, and we'll send you a little congratulations in the mail, but thank you for that. And then relax into your limitation. Quit sweating about it. You've done what you can do. You've done all you can do, and you can't keep sweating over that because I keep manufacturing things to worry about that are already taken care of, and I need to quit worrying about that stuff. So one cause of discouragement is just trying to please everybody. We can't do that either. I'm a people pleaser. I grew up in a family of people pleasers. 
I come from a long line of people pleasers. And it's hard because we want to please people. And sometimes there are people who have different opinions and you're stuck in the middle with you. And so you got these clowns to the right of you and jokers to the left. And you can't please those clowns and jokers. Can I get an amen? And so what can you do except tell the truth as best you know it and trust God for the rest and you got to not try to please everybody. That's one that I struggle with a lot. And so I remind myself when I read passages from the Apostle Paul that I can relax into my limitations and say, God, help me to know the truth, speak the truth, pray for you to work, and then back away, even if somebody's upset at me for that. Did Jesus please everybody? Uh, he got crucified. Remember that? No, he didn't please everybody. In fact, some of the very people who probably had more information available to them because they had the Old Testament than a lot of other people chose to put him on a cross because they disagreed with him. So no, he didn't please. Why do we think we have to do what Jesus chose not to do? We can't. So, God, please remind us to relax into our human limitations because sometimes the best thing we can do for somebody else is let them be responsible for themselves and we got to quit being a people, a people pleaser. God's strength is revealed through weak people. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God works through some crazy people? People we would have least expected? I mean, probably in the New Testament, nobody expected this guy who was persecuting the Christians to have this road to Damascus, Damascus experience and wake up and go meet some people that would pour into his life and then later he starts becoming the spokesperson for the way, they would be thinking, no, God wouldn't use a person like that. And we look at some of the evangelists today. I know I've told you before about David Ring. You can find him on YouTube too. He's a very interesting guy. He has very strong speech impediment because of cerebral palsy. And, but he says, the first line that he comes out of his mouth, he says, I've got cerebral palsy. What's your problem? Do you have a problem? So what keeps you from being able to do what God asked you to do? And when he says it, he says it with all the affectations of somebody with really strong cerebral palsy. And God uses that guy. I would think, if he told me when he was 12 years old, I really feel the call to become an evangelist, which is the way he talks. Most people would have probably laughed at that and said, <laughs> yeah, David, come, let's have a talk. There may be some things that you'll be really good at, and we want to steer you in the right direction. But he felt a call to become an evangelist, and God has used him to reach thousands and thousands of people. Unbelievable. So God works through cracked pots and people with imperfect vessels. As imperfect as we are, God still uses us, every one of us. And he can use us this week to encourage somebody else too. I've got an encouragement plan. I started looking at how sometimes I'll say I'm going to do something, but then I don't develop a plan. And if we don't have a plan for it, it's not going to happen. And so I'm going to ask Michael to hand out these encouragement plan cards for you so that you can start doing that. Thanks, Katie, for helping as well. You're such an encouragement to me. And uh, I'm going to get, you've got two of them on there, but you're allowed to encourage more than two people this week. Trust me, I, I hope that if there are more than two days in the week that maybe you can even do one per day. But this gets us thinking about who are you going to encourage specifically. Be, be specific. And then how are you planning to encourage them? Don't just say, yeah, I'll encourage somebody this week without a plan. So 
Who are you going to encourage? How are you going to do that? And when? Put a timeline on it. When are you going to get this done by? And so by doing that, I had this as part of my thought process this week. And so I followed through on a couple of them already this week. And I was so grateful that I did because the encouragement was like that boomerang. And it came back and slapped me up the side of the head. And it did so in such a good way because I felt so much more encouraged after I had done my little job of encouraging a couple of people this week. So who are you going to encourage? How are you going to do it? And when are you going to get it done by? And if you say, yes, I'm going to encourage somebody, say, yes, I'm going to encourage somebody. Okay, that was weak. But I gave you too many words. Just say, if I'm going to encourage somebody, say yes. Okay, that's better. Let's pray together, and then we're going to go out singing today as we have been encouraged in the Word, and God's going to show us how to relax into our limitation, trust Him because He's given us a purpose, and we're going to glorify Him this week. Let's pray. Father, do all this, we pray, in Your way so that You'll have the glory. We won't be able to take the credit for it. And may we be encouragers and point other people to You and shine Your light to them reflect your glory so they can clearly see Jesus more clearly in our lives. May we be Jesus to people that we encounter this week. And thank you for the encouragement you boomerang back to us as we do so. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.